0: Alrighty, and welcome to those who are listening online as well. We're going to get into Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 25, uh, where we are at in our study through the book of Mark, and uh, Margaret is going to read for us this morning from the scripture. Thank you. Thanks, Margaret.
1: Well, Jesus and the, his disciples um, had been staying overnight in Bethany um, after that triumphant entry into Jerusalem the day before on the cult. Remember that? Palm Sunday. Anyway, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money, of the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught the people, he said, It is not written, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anyone against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. to God.
0: How'd you go? That's a reminder that there's different translations of the Bible. <laughs> I have a question. What if God's plan is to fill the world with His presence? What if God's plan is to fill the world with his presence? And what if that plan is actually already well and truly underway? As I ask that question, does that make you say, okay, yeah, so, you know, that's fine. What's the big deal? God is everywhere anyway, right? Or does it mean something to you because you've tasted God's presence and what it is really like in some special way and you know if God's presence was to fill the earth, uh, it really would transform everything. God's presence was to fill the earth. Uh, what we've read today, uh, just now, it, about Jesus in the temple, it, was, it would have been much more eye-opening to the people in that day than us here in the 21st century in Australia because uh, that they understood that God made his home uh, in a special way, in special places throughout history, such as the temple. Uh, And so Jesus' words and his actions in Jerusalem that we're going to be seeing and looking at in the coming weeks uh, that really kind of starts today are really not just turning over tables, but actually turning over a whole faith system. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to study that. We're going to think about what that means for us. Um, what what, what, What does it really mean? What if God's plan is to fill the world with His presence, uh, let me pray, and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much for your living, um, your living word, your your word which uh, is sharp, that brings um, both comfort and challenge. Um, we thank you that your word has been passed down through generations and generations. Um, preserved, that we may read it, study it, meditate on it, and allow you to speak to us through it this morning. And we ask that you would, in in fact, do that by your Holy Spirit as we think about what it means to be in relationship with you, the God who wants to fill the world with his presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why on earth, in this passage we just read, does Jesus just walk up to a fig tree, curse it, and go, now you're going to wither and die? Did he sort of not have his breakfast that morning and he was grumpy that there was no figs on the tree? Did he, did he need to feel the need to do a miracle and there's nobody around to heal? What is going on? Why does he just walk up to a fig tree and curse? You will never have any fruit again. Uh, what's happening here in this strange little, little section is, and without going too much into the background detail, the fig tree which Mark, in the, the passage which, is, passage which was, we've just written, uh, we've, I'm going to start that one again. In the passage we just read, Mark says it has leaves but no fruit. And this is, a, this is representative of the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying that the temple has, as one writer puts it, all leaves and no fruit. Uh, And and he approaches this temple, and what he is saying of it is what he's saying of the fig tree, that may no one ever eat your fruit again, the fruit of the temple uh, being all wrong. It's not what it should be producing. It's not what it should be doing. Uh, What the temple was meant to be is no longer what the Jewish leaders had made it to be. Uh, Part of the temple was being used as this purely commercial enterprise, trading. And Jesus says that the scriptures declare, my house or my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Um, And he's not necessarily saying that the trade, the commercial activity that was happening uh, was corrupt or illegal, that people were literally stealing things from each other. He wasn't necessarily saying that, but it was not what the temple was meant for, this commercial Uh, exercise. In fact, it was quite the opposite of that uh, in Jesus' mind. So why in the mind of Jesus and in his view was this commercial activity so contrary to a house of prayer? Why why are these so much poles apart? And he goes, this cannot be. Um, I mean, is there any reason really why, you know, part of the temple, the outer court could be set aside to help raise some funds so that You know, the rest of it could be used for the purpose of prayer and of worship. Um, Why did Jesus think that this just could not happen? I actually think that there's a um, a guy, Mark Sayers, uh, Australian pastor and author, identifies what the issue was for Jesus in his kind of commentary on on culture and the way the world tends to go. Um, He basically says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says this, that progress is... Human progress is the the God-void, humanistic, and, and world-driven version of presence. So on the one hand, you have God's presence, and on the other hand, there's human progress, which is the exact opposite. While God's desire is to fill the world with his presence, where all we rely on for provision and health and comfort and joy is God's presence, the human way of of progress towards provision and wealth and comfort and enjoyment, uh, where we don't have to rely on God at all, is the opposite of relying on God. And Jesus looks around the temple, which is supposed to be this place of God's presence, where he lives, where he dwells. And uh, this is God's special dwelling place, place, but but Jesus sees human-driven progress efforts that don't rely on God, but on trade and money and business. What if God, though, had a plan not just to fill the temple, but the world with his presence? And what if that plan is, well and truly already underway? The whole um, message in Jerusalem that Jesus comes to declare is that the old temple would actually be Done away with. So, this place, this dwelling place of God's presence, that would be done away with, that would be destroyed, and then the new temple would be built in three days nonetheless. Now, we know that Jesus is talking about not a physical building, but Himself, that He would be raised to life, He would be the one who God is now present in. But then, to cut a long story short, if we look at the rest of what Scripture says and what Jesus declared, he's not just going to declare himself to be the new temple, he's going to declare his followers to be the new temple as well and that we would be like living, we would be firstly like mini temples uh, carrying God's presence and then living stones built together into this global temple together as the body of Christ. What if God has a plan to fill the world with his presence and what if he is doing it through us? How would that happen? change things? How would that change the way we live? What impact would that make? Um, I think uh, this is just kind of a working theory, I guess, um, that we Christians, especially those of us who identify um, in the evangelical uh, stream, which is really where we sit, um, that we have a bit of a theological issue, a God belief issue that we need to deal with. And that is the assumption that omnipresence is the same thing as manifest presence. To put that in non-theological terms, the belief that God is everywhere means that therefore God is not somehow specially or tangibly present in certain places and situations and people. That the two are kind of mutually exclusive. That Oh, God is everywhere, so he's not sort of more present there and more present here. And yet I know dozens of us in this room have had an experience or an encounter with God and His presence in ways that made those moments and those experiences quite different to when you stubbed your toe the other day, or even when you're sitting right here in this room, just uh, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning. That there are have been, uh, experiences in your life have been quite different because you've encountered the presence of God. And and I know that sometimes that's simply an awareness you've gone from going, okay, I'm just here by myself. Oh, God, I, I recognize now that you are present around me. Um, that sometimes happens, but the ark, the tabernacle, the temple, these special dwelling places of God's presence in Scripture were, sim- were not simply places where God was somehow more, that we were somehow more aware of him, but they were special places where he was especially present. Um, and now we who follow Jesus are somehow, mysteriously, being made into new temples going to be carriers of his presence. And Jesus says this, that my temple, my house, is to be a house of what? Prayer. So all of that was my introduction to the sermon. Now I'm going to start. And the reason I say that is because this whole topic of God's presence is something that I really want to come back to a number of times in the coming months and years, I think. It's something I've been grappling with, God's been just really uh, challenging me on, um, and we will come back to it, but I've come to realize that, among other things, it absolutely starts with prayer. Um, As living temples, we are set aside like the temple in Jerusalem for a a special calling and a special purpose, and that is prayer. Um, Now, what I'm not going to attempt to do today is give an all-inclusive, all-encompassing sermon on prayer and how to do it and the theological grounding and all of that kind of thing because that would be silly to try, even attempt to do that in 20 minutes. Um, But uh, I I just want to suggest today um, a few little practical things and things that might help you in your walk with God, your prayer life, but that, to suggest this, that overall God's master plan is to fill the world with his presence. He's doing it through you and I, and this starts, continues, and ends with prayer. In fact, I'm not even sure that it ends because if we're followers of Jesus, we have a hope that we'll be in an eternal life with God, eternal meaning eternal, everlasting. And so it will always be a journey of prayer, walking with God, relating with God, God filling the world with his presence through you and I, it's, it starts and continues and goes on through prayer. Um, I want to cover a little bit of what Christian prayer is and hopefully some practical bits that will be helpful. But start, though, with, with asking why. Why pray? There's a good start that God wants to fill the earth with his presence. He's doing it through us. He's doing it through prayer. Um, God's presence is, is the sweetest, most peaceful, awesome, incredible thing uh, and we experience and we carry his presence uh, in and through prayer. Um, my temple will be a house of prayer. When Jesus says that, I don't necessarily think he's just referring to the, the physical uh, structural building in Jerusalem that, doesn't, that, that, that was knocked down eventually. I think it also applies to you and I with Jesus, that we are to be houses of prayer, people of prayer. And and for me, I, I think what's, what's happening and what I, what I see happening in my own life is that I, I once had a, a good theology of prayer and great theory about how to be a praying person, but it didn't necessarily translate into actually being a person of prayer and that God's slowly starting to change that in me, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, I'm no, by no means an expert or a, or a wise, some, somebody who's, who's been a, a person of prayer, deep prayer for a long time, but I think I'm learning a few things along the way and want to share that with you. On a day-to-day level, what does prayer do? Why pray? Why pray? I probably don't have to convince you that God answers prayer and that prayer enriches our life. It gives us a sense of joy. gives us a sense of peace uh, and that God is good and he does answer prayer. But the motivation to actually pray doesn't just come from the theory that it works. If we, j- oh, yeah, yeah, God answers prayer. Yes, prayer enriches our life. Yes, prayer gives us peace. Yes, prayer is helpful for it, It's actually not necessarily going to move us into a place where we're actually praying. We're motivated to pray when we experience the fruit of it. And so let me tell you a little story of how I've experienced just a little bit of the fruit of prayer and how that's brought about gratitude in my life. Over the last couple of years, um, it, around the middle of the year, We've taken part, uh, and I've encouraged us to take part in a little season of prayer, just 11 days, called Thy Kingdom Come, uh, where during that time, it's from Ascension to Pentecost, we, where during that time we pray for five people who don't know Jesus. We just think, okay, who are five people you want me to pray for? For the 11 days, each day we pray for those people. Um, and one of those times that we did that, I felt that one person I should pray for was a guy called James, who's here this morning. And he had actually already made a commitment to Jesus, so I kind of was breaking the rules. But uh, he, he had given his life to Christ here at the Billabong. Uh, he then uh, lost his job here and had to go back to Thailand soon after his marriage fell apart, sadly. And uh, I just felt I should pray for James because I knew that James would need Christian people, a church around him who would disciple him, who would help him to keep clinging to Jesus. And he needed a, a strong church family. So I just felt I'm going to pray for James within my five people. I did that for those 11 days, decided I'd continue on with that. I can't remember for how long, probably a couple of months or so. I'm just praying for him and those other four uh, each day. And each time I prayed for James, I thought to myself, I don't know if this is doing any good, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to see this guy again, probably. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not worth it. I, I kept praying for a while anyway and, uh, and then kind of you know forgot about it for a while. Fast forward about two years from then, uh, from when James gave his life to Christ here at the Billabong, Uh, he emails me about a month or so ago and it says this, hello Luke, Uh, it's James who you met at the Billabong in 2017, how have you been, how is church going? I'm writing this email to say hello to you and say thank you, after I came back to my hometown I was still going to church but I couldn't find the right one, finally thanks to Jesus he brought me to the church which makes me feel like I'm at home. I'll visit Australia with my girlfriend in September and we'll visit the Billabong. Got lots of things to talk about. Sincerely, James. And he's here today uh, because... And he's here because with the blessing of his church and his small group in Taiwan, um, he would like to be uh, baptised here because it's the place he gave his life to Jesus. And they said, we'd love you to do that. We'd bless you to do that. Now, here's, here's why I tell that story. Did James end up where he is today because of my prayers? Probably not. So what was the value in it then? What was the point? What value was there in me praying those prayers? Well, the value from my perspective is that I got to experience an incredible gratitude and a joy from being able to be part of God's plan in some small way to sanctify and call and save Jesus uh, saved James into life with Jesus simply because I prayed. Now, I don't think that he, he's here because I prayed, but if I were it, just knowing that maybe I was able to be some small part of that, joining with God's plan together in prayer, it gives me an incredible gratitude. Sometimes those were simple 10 second prayers that God would, would just lead, lead James in a Christian community uh, that loved and discipled him. And it's just, I just felt an, an overwhelming joy. Um, the night I read that email. Now, people have debated for centuries, should we pray for the small things? Should we pray for car parking spaces? Anybody wondered about that or heard someone talk about that? Pete uh, Gregg, who founded the 24-7 Prayer Movement, he says that despite having written books on why you shouldn't pray for parking spaces, the simple answer is yes. You should, because answered prayer increases gratitude. If you only ever pray for world peace, you're likely to be a grumpy bum who goes around going, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. Um, I don't know that he's really a good God. He's not willing to answer my prayer. Because you're praying for world peace, and that's it. When we pray for the little things, God, would you, maybe not car parking spaces, I don't know, but little things that, might not seem that significant. It increases a gratitude in us that we begin to actually see and believe that God is, in fact, good. And maybe then it increases our faith for the bigger things too. God is your dad who delights in giving you the small things that would bring you joy and would bring a closer relationship. So why pray? I think because it increases our gratitude. On the other hand, prayer can and does affect God's hand in things. Uh, Now, I'm not going to go into all the theological, biblical arguments about God's plans and whether they can then change and and all of that kind of thing. Um, All I know is that God wants us to ask. He wants us to ask him for things. There's numerous parables that Jesus tells and advice that he gives that teach us to ask the Father. Ask, ask, ask people and ask him. We just read one today uh, where he says, ask, believe that he'll answer when you ask. But is it just so that we'll be grateful when he answers? Is it just because God's already going to do it? If you ask, then you'll be part of it and then you'll be grateful. Well, if you read the scriptures, the way God related with kings and with prophets, uh, with Jesus, and then the way Jesus talked and the way he prayed, you actually see this amazing thing in scripture where God actually wants to be in partnership with us. This blows my mind. That God, the God of the universe, actually wants to share the role of establishing His kingdom, restoring the earth, filling it with His presence. He wants to share that with us. He wants to partner with us. He actually listens to us. He actually takes into consideration our input. He considers us like partners in a business who all contribute around the table. I think that's just absolutely incredible. Now, clearly, God leads the project, uh, if you want to think about it as kind of a a business partnership. He leads the mission. um, And when our requests and our input is foolish and doesn't help bring the kingdom to earth, he goes, oh, maybe we'll do it a different way. But as we catch his heart more and more, and as we align with this plan of redemption and salvation, um, and as we ask for the things that he cares about, he actually considers us to be partners. He agrees to our requests. He trusts us. He releases resource to us. It's incredible. Why pray? He, he wants us to partner with. He wants to partner with us. God wants to partner with us. Jesus uh, also teaches his disciples that God wants us to ask according to His will. Prayer helps us align with God's will. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray this when they asked, how do we pray? Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, God, not mine, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, a life of prayer can be incredibly tough because when it seems to go uh, unanswered, we wonder whether God's listening, right? When prayer, when we don't know what, why God isn't answering our prayer, why he's not uh, agreeing to our request, Uh, We go, God, are are you listening? Uh, uh, Do you care? Especially when we're convinced that we have prayed according to God's will. When we've, we've prayed something and we go, God, there is no reason, there is no logical reason why this couldn't be in line with God's will. I can't see why you wouldn't want my spouse to get that job or why you wouldn't want that family member to be healed. I can't see why you wouldn't want that person who doesn't know you to find you. God, I, I'm I, I'm sure I'm praying in line with your will, and and yet he still doesn't seem to answer. But Jesus teaches over and over and over again, especially in, in John's gospel, that we when we ask in line with what God wants, we will receive. And so this is what this tell, here's what this tells me that prayer, especially unanswered prayer, is an opportunity to align ourselves more fully with God's will however challenging that may be and however confusing it is that we're not already aligned with his will. What if what we think God wants is actually just what we want and we need a change? There's actually even sociological studies that have shown uh, that human beings have an incredible ability to make God in our own image. There's this uh, well-known Bible college professor who at the beginning of his class on the life of Jesus every year. He gets all of his students to fill out a survey about the character and the qualities of Jesus. And then they do a second survey, which is all about their own character and their own qualities. And when they match the two together, surprise, surprise, the answers are very similar. Everybody thinks Jesus is just like them. And Jesus came to reveal who God is to us, what he thinks and what he cares about. So maybe we really are making God in our own image and projecting our desires and our will onto his. What if prayer is meant to shift our thinking from, I want it, so it must be God's will, to, what do you want, God? Because even if I don't understand it, I trust your plans are best for me and for others. Um, I think this is why, for example, Jesus is always highlighting forgiveness when it comes to prayer. Today's passage is no exception. Uh, First and foremost, if you have unforgiveness towards someone, that's out of line with God's heart for them. And so that's the first step in aligning with your will be done, God, and not mine. It's the first step to that kind of prayer. So God partners with us. He gives us opportunities to participate fully in what he's doing. Prayer helps us to align with His will. And don't get me wrong, it's so, it's so hard, right? When the short-term things that we long for, they aren't part of God's long-term plan. Sometimes it's just impossible to see how any good could come from the, the battle that we're facing, the thing in front of us. But here's where God is more than just the team leader that we're in partnership with. He's more than just the king who wants us to join with him um, as his servants and, and build his kingdom together. He's also our father who holds us. He knows best when we don't understand. And he carries us through even when we still don't understand. I had this ex- little experience yesterday where I was r- reminded of this, where um, it's, it's real simple because my, Micah, my um, oldest son, is only three, but he's crawled into our bed in the morning and he's like, can I watch something on mummy's phone? And I said, No. And the response was, uh, uh, "Why can't I watch something on Mummy's phone?" About three. Oh, I didn't know he was here. It's, it's all right; he's laughing. But then, but then a few seconds. But then a few seconds later, it was like this. And so even though he didn't understand why that wasn't good for him at the time and why that wasn't the thing to do, he still clung to me. He didn't go, oh, I'll storm away. And you can go back to me now. Good boy. Love you. <laughs> I tried to get it on video, but that's even better. Right, he didn't understand why his will wasn't aligned with my will and why my will was better for him at that particular time because um, we had to get ready and go to, where did we go on that day? Not the zoo, somewhere else. Somewhere exciting. Um, Colin Buchanan concert, that's what it was. Right? So there was good reason for it. No, we can't get stuck in Netflix right now. But despite the fact that he didn't understand, he was still able to cling to me, still able to give me a hug and kind of fall back onto, into my arms. Prayer brings us to the arms of the Father no matter what. Um, that's why it's so essential that we understand the uniqueness of Christian prayer. And that's where I want to go to now. We've covered why pray. Um, what is prayer? What is Christian prayer? For starters, it's offered in Jesus' name. Now, that doesn't just mean that you tack on, in the name of Jesus, at the end of a prayer, and now God hears you. Uh, it's, it's about this. The Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians, and so we come through Jesus, in the name of Jesus, to the Father directly, directly. Um, Tim Keller uses this illustration in his book on prayer, where if we were to go up to a famous person, let's just say Taylor Swift, um, at her concert and say, Tay Tay, remember me? I'm your biggest fan. How you going?" Now, I've heard that she's actually really nice in these things, so she'd probably give you a hug and take a selfie and that kind of thing. But then she would move on, right? Because there's not really a special relationship there. But if you were to go up to her and say, "Hey, Taylor," I, I, I know your sister really well. I'm so-and-so, and she recognizes the name. Um, we ha- you know, I hang out with your sister all the time. She might say, oh, wow, that's amazing. Tell me how she is. I haven't seen her for a while. Hey, actually, do you want to come to the green room afterwards? We'll have a drink together. It'd be great to get to know you a little bit more. That's kind of what the relationship is. It's kind of like how when we come, you know, if you come in the name of somebody who has a closer connection, this is how it works. We come in the name of Jesus. We come through him to the Father who, because Jesus is, is one and only Son. Now, obviously, the illustration breaks down a bit because God is not Taylor Swift. Um, but we come in the name of Jesus. And uh, Jesus says that we are with him. We bear his name when we've decided to trust him with our life. And so on our own... We're not worthy of a relationship with God the Father, just like a stranger will get little more than a brief hug from Taylor Swift. They're not worthy. Um, But when we recognize that on our own and with our sin, we are unworthy and that we need his righteousness to replace that unworthiness, then we put our faith in Jesus and this is what he does. When we place, place our trust in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit Now God's spirit has joined with our spirit inside us. Jesus transfers to us his righteousness so we no longer have to be separated from a holy God and he leads us directly to the Father. And so Christian prayer is by the spirit through the Son to the Father. It's a direct relationship. And we need to understand that that is what Christian prayer is. Because otherwise, even if you have... have, even if you are a Christian and you're coming, God, I think I'm good enough to talk to you at the moment. I think I've done well enough. Then you're still coming as somebody who's not worthy because it's not the righteousness of Jesus you're coming with. And if you've not submitted your life to Jesus in the first place, um, yes, God can still hear and respond to your prayers. He's he's big enough for that. Um, But ultimately, there's a separation from what Christian prayer really and truly is, what a relationship with God really is. And truly is. You're not coming to him as a son or daughter with full access through Jesus. You're coming as, actually, the scriptures say, a rebel, an enemy of God who has lived out of line with his plans. But we can come to the Father. He opens his arms to us. We come through Jesus. Tim Keller says uh, it this way, no one would dare wake up the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water. Right? No one would dare wake up the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water except his own child. We can be children of God we can come to the king for anything. Prayer is, is becoming a child in the arms of the father. It's asking, it's enjoying, it's sometimes whinging, but always falling back into his arms for comfort, for security, in joy and in sadness. So I want to finish today with, with just a few thoughts on how we actually pray, how we develop a life of prayer. And I've tried to start everyone with a P so it's easier to remember. Um, and this is just a few things I feel like I've kind of learned and that Jesus has modelled to us. You need a pattern to begin with. If you say you'll pray when you feel like it, you'll pray when you feel like it. And you know what? Sometimes that will be Never. So we need a pattern of prayer. We need to find a dedicated time, most likely in the morning, to be with God. And it doesn't go against the advice of Paul who says, pray without ceasing, pray at all times. It helps that because there's a dedicated time, first thing, that we set aside to be with God so that the rest of our day we're more attuned to his voice and to his rhythm. Um, So get a daily rhythm. Get a pattern in your life. Uh, Mine is... Uh, Set time in the morning once coffee is kicked in. You need to find what works for you. Secondly, you need a place, a chair, a a, a room, a park, just the same way uh, that you might have a regular meeting spot with a friend. It doesn't mean you can't talk to God in other places as well, but there needs to be somewhere where that can become holy ground for you, a pattern of meeting with him in a certain Place. For me, it's our prayer room, and I'd seriously encourage you to consider using our prayer room for this. Sometimes just actually the added, okay, I need to go off track a little bit to get there and to be there, means that it's, it's a special place. It's a special place away, uh, or set aside a chair in your house, a room in your house, whatever it might be. You also need privacy. Uh, if at all possible, don't make your pattern and your place uh, the couch next to where your toddler plays at the time your toddler plays. Um, because it's probably not going to be particularly easy to just uh, retreat and connect with God. Privacy is good. Even Susanna Wesley told her umpteen kids, this is the father, uh, mother of um, Charles and John Wesley, she told her all of her kids, when I'm under my apron, I'm praying, so don't bother me. So if you need to create privacy somehow, make sure you do it. Fourth, you need practical resources. This is simple. Obviously a Bible, I'd say a journal is almost important. Um, as important as as the Bible, Uh, maybe a devotional if that's helpful for you, stuff to draw or paint, music to play, worship music, whatever it might be. Um, But alongside that, we also need to put aside some things, right? We need practical things to help us connect with God. And then there's things we need to leave at the door because they don't help us to connect with God. It's a blessing and a curse that we have the Bible and worship music on our phones these days because It's the thing that's likely to turn half an hour of deep connection with God in prayer into a few minutes of prayer and lots of social media. Do I have an amen? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Whatever you need to leave at the door, leave it at the door. And then finally, we need peers who will support us in this. And this is arguably the easiest thing to just not bother with. The first, first five will do fine, right, Luke? But... It's probably the most important of all. If there's not somebody asking you how your time with God is going and encouraging you and challenging you, I can almost guarantee you that your prayer life won't develop. You need to take the initiative and be transparent, that big A word, accountable. We need peer support to spur one another on. There's a couple of other practical tips and tools that I've found really helpful on a site called the prayer, uh, prayercourse.org. Tool shed, or just go to prayercourse.org and click Toolshed. There's some great stuff on various ways to pray, practical tips on how to do it. I really encourage you to check that out. Um, I'm hoping that this has been somewhat helpful, and I'm a bit over time now. Um, but I just want to finish today coming back to the why of prayer and share an excerpt from a book um, uh, that, I, that I've been reading. And uh, it's, it's the words of... Um, a guy who, who kind of addresses the question of why pray when we'd really rather not? Because sometimes, yes, prayer is powerful. God plans to fill the world with his presence and does it through prayer. It's powerful, it's huge, it's, it's amazing, but sometimes it's also painful. And so these words are spoken, were spoken many years ago at a gathering of young people by a guy called Paul, um, and his story is that his sister had severe anorexia, anorexia Um, was completely robbing her of any quality of life. And he said this. He said, I'm here to confess something to you all. I don't even pray for my sister. And I've been asking myself, why not? Why don't I care? The truth is, yes, I, I care. Well, maybe I don't believe in prayer. Yeah, yeah, I believe in prayer. The reason I don't pray for my sister is because it's just too painful. To pray for my sister is to think about her situation. It means identifying with her and it means feeling a bit of her pain. And I find it easier just to forget the whole thing and pretend it's not happening. But God's been challenging me to feel my sister's pain because that's actually what it means to truly intercede, to pray for I also believe that God is challenging us as a group of young people to dare to really feel the pain all around us, to move from praying for people from the comfort of our own salvation to interceding with them from a position of need. And here's the question Will we allow the things that break God's heart to break our hearts too? It will mean more than tears, it will mean listening. It may be the reason so many of us struggle with our own personal burdens and heartaches because God's allowing us to feel pain. He's allowing us to be weak and to be broken so that our prayers can be powerful. And Paul finishes with this. What if the call to pray is a call to bleed as well as be blessed? Will we carry this cross? And so, Father, I... I want to ask this morning that as we step forward as a people who have a desire and a heart and a call and a burden to pray, that we wouldn't just do that to the extent where we feel comfortable and we feel like there's blessing involved, but Lord, that we'd be willing to feel the pain of others whom we pray for. Lord, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? You God are not pleased with the state of this world right now. It breaks your heart, and Lord, I know that's, we know that so often you protect us from that feeling of brokenness and from that heart breaking uh, emotional experience of truly knowing what is wrong with the world and what needs to change. You protect us from that. You don't let us feel all of that because it would crush us. But Lord, we pray that you would show, you would just give us a glimpse of that, that you would just give us a little bit of that, that that being heartbroken for the lost, for the lonely, for the last, the least. Lord, for those who are vulnerable, for those who are without hope. And as we become willing to uh, intercede for them, Lord, to pray for them not just from a place of comfort but from a place of partnership with you, Lord, we ask that that would be the beginning of a journey that transforms both, both us and the world around us as we carry your presence into it. As we get the music team to come up now, just spend a moment to just spend a minute, pray, pray, with, pray to God. Talk to God. Express your heart to him. Ask him to show you what it is that he's saying. Yeah, for him to speak to you, to show you what he's saying to you right now and how he wants you to be a carrier of his presence in this world.